What's up, my friends? Welcome back to the podcast. My name is Max McCoy. My guest today is Dr. Andy Galpin. He co-authored a book called Unplugged, Evolve from Technology to Upgrade Your Fitness, Performance, and Consciousness. And this was something I was super excited to talk about because I'm super aware, as you guys might know, of like the mental health and performance space and how technology can really hinder that especially social media and how much for me i can talk about yo everybody like social media will make you anxious and it'll shorten your attention span it'll do all these things to you um but then i fall victim to it as well if you guys follow me on instagram you've seen i've been posting screenshots of my screen time and it's disgusting because i'm so aware of this issue but yet i still fall victim to it and so i was excited to talk to andy um, about technology and how we can better use it as a tool and not let the tool use us. We talk about performance, mental and physical, a lot of other things with Dr. Andy Galpin, who is just a wealth of knowledge. He's a professor, he's a scientist, he's an author, uh, he has a PhD in human bioenergetics, he studies muscle physiology, he works with professional athletes, he's a host of a podcast, he's a professor, um, he's the head of performance at CS Fullerton. Man, I was uh, super lucky to get Andy on the podcast and and i hope you guys take value from this episode like i did um we talk at the end of the podcast about how you can find more information from andy he literally puts out so much information in regards to performance um, and muscle physiology and, and so much more he literally puts out college level curriculum information for free and so at the end of this podcast we talk about where you can find that and that's it i'll stop talking Enjoy this podcast with Dr. Andy Galvin. So, um, why do you do so many podcasts in general? Do you just love to get your message out there? Do you love to teach? Um, what is it that makes doing this many podcasts? You've been on all my favorite podcasts as a guest, so uh, it's something I'm curious about. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's part of that, of course. Yeah. Uh, it's in my nature. It's it's multifaceted, right? So, to me, I feel like you have a bit of a responsibility as somebody. Uh, of esteem in the field to to take what you know and, and pay it forward, if you will. So it's part that, of course, I enjoy the teaching aspect. That's what I do for a living. That's probably one of the things that resonates most with me. Um, also, there's secondary benefits, of course, right? The more your name is out there, the more opportunities you get. Yeah. So that's certainly a part of it. But probably the biggest of all of it is you know, I was mentored as a doctoral student by a guy named Dave Costell, and Dave is one of the legendary exercise physiologists ever. And he was very clear that you should, in in his time, have one, what he called, lay publication uh, for every scientific publication. So in other words, for every study you publish, you should write one article at that time for men's runner's health, or I mean, uh, runner's digest, mm. or men's health, something like that. Uh, and to me, that was always... Uh, what that meant was you should spend equal time creating and learning new things that you also spend taking the things we learn and getting it to the people who use it. Mm-hmm. And so I don't write like that, like Dave did, but that the game has changed, the world has changed. Nowadays, people consume their information for podcasts. So I feel like it is part of the responsibility as a scientist for everything that I learn, I should be spending close to equal time helping people actually deploy those things. So that that's really what drives me for the most part is the, if not, man, you feel really futile and useless in the lab. Cause it's like, you do all this work, nobody reads it, nobody cares, nothing happens. Yeah. What's the point? So and that's what's intrigued me a lot 
and a lot of people say this is that you have that you know you're obviously a scientist and extremely intellectual in that sense but then you also come off as a just a normal human being that understands our point of view as well from athletes and people just trying to perform at their best like it seems like you have a sense of empathy in terms of everything you do which is super refreshing in this space i guess um <laughs> that's just me you know that's my nature uh probably because i identify personally a bit more with your side than the scientific side yeah um and so, so to lay some groundwork before we get too deep what what do you say that you do what is your you put it better than i do what is your job title what is it that you do andy oh that's a bit tough i mean well technically uh, i'm a full-time tenure professor at cal state fullerton so my job is really three parts number one to teach classes in strength and conditioning human performance nutrition etc Number two, I'm a scientist, so I study all things human performance, and my specific area is muscle physiology. Um, but really, um, I'm fortunate enough to, to be the co-director of what's called the Center for Sport Performance, and our mission is to produce and disseminate research that enhances sport performance. Mm -hmm. So that's really what I do. And then the third part of my job <laughs> is I actually work with athletes directly. So I work a lot with combat sport athletes, uh, and Olympic athletes um, doing these things. So a bit scientist, a bit teacher, and a small portion practitioner, if you will. Yeah, and then you co-authored a book, Unplugged, uh, Evolve from Technology to Upgrade Your Fitness and Performance and Consciousness. Uh, I love the book. So before we get into the book, which is why I reached out in the first place, because this is something I'm personally working on is trying to unplug from you know just too much stimuli when it comes to the book unplugged in which you try to get people off of technology and reconnected what was kind of the thought process behind that in terms of like you're you're studying performance at a cellular level where does unplugged come in and what is the what kind of questions are you asking or what kind of questions are you trying to solve in the space when it comes to unplugged so this really my co-author brian mckenzie it was the book was his idea mm. and the concept was a couple of things. Number one, uh, he is a coach. Brian is a very, very high level coach. And he came at this from the perspective of it'd be cool to do a book where you have a scientist and a coach speaking the same language mm. or having the same conversation, really. Yeah. Now, while he's a coach, he very much operates in a lot of ways like a scientist. And while I'm a scientist, I actually typically operate more like a coach. So there was, there was, an, that part was just really intriguing to see how that voice would could be melted into one yeah so he pitched the idea and i was like no this is stupid i'm not writing a book on technology <laughs> <laughs> but but the problem he had was he just got irate with some of the athletes he was working with that were uh outsourcing their intelligence and making all their decisions based on fitness technologies and from my perspective i have the same issue in which uh, people were misusing science Right, misapplying it from a practitioner's perspective. And so we thought, let's just write a book where we really tackle this issue. And it's kind of buried under the idea of uh, all technologies. And so I didn't want to just write a book about how social media sucks yeah, or whatever. Right? And I don't want to write a book on heart rate monitors. That's not the point. That's, that's in there. But the real point of the book was to step back and think globally about how you make decisions all day. What goes into your processing? What are your decision-making skills and technology is simply a good example of that. So we talk about really the pros and cons of technology. And I, I use everything from the most advanced neural technology we have for brain training all the way back to soap. 
the basic stuff you use to clean your hands. There are pros and cons to all of those things. And if you look over time in history, we have seen the pendulum swing on what the benefits and consequences of these things are. Mm -hmm. And so my method was, if you can look at that clearly, you can make in the world, this is why the word conscious is in the title, you can make a conscious choice. So I'm not against social media, obviously, still on it. I'm not against heart rate monitors and I, uh, uh, Apple watches and things like that. I'm not against force plates. Uh, I'm pro all of those things. What I'm against is people making decisions about their training completely void of thinking. Right. So I want you to realize you're making a choice at all time. Most of the time that is unconscious and you don't recognize it. I want that choice to be conscious. If you see both options, red pill, blue pill, if you will, you can still choose the red pill. I don't care. You can choose to be on Facebook. You can choose to do these things. Fine. I just want you to realize that you even have a choice to begin with. Hmm. And then you can choose Facebook. You can choose the GPS tracking, whatever you're doing. But I want you to understand, okay, then when I made this choice, here are the benefits I can get from these things, and here are the consequences. And it's like the old G.I. Joe saying, now you know, knowing is half the battle, right? When you know the potential problems that are going to come along with these things, it's a lot more, it's a, it's a, it's a lot easier to avoid them and to fix them. And yeah. so, again, it's not a pitch or a ploy to stop using these things. It is a recognition that, okay, let's take their strengths, let's understand their weaknesses, and now I can protect against weakness. And so, in fact... If you're a really high-level thinker, in my opinion, the book only strengthens how well you can use technology. Hmm. Right. In fact, you can use it a lot better, and it's really a pitch to use it, just to use it appropriately. And where where does the line get blurred, or where where is the the danger come? Where should we become more conscious if if we are unaware and we haven't read the book? What are some of the things that we should keep an eye out for when it starts to hurt us? Yeah, well, it's it's a whole host of things like yeah. Uh, they're, they're typically not accurate. So number one, accuracy is a huge problem. And this, regardless is, of this is for the technology wearables, like tracking your heart rate or, or whatever it is. Sure. Yeah. Any, I mean, the, the vast majority of any technology that someone will be using for sport performance, say, mm. uh, they're typically not very accurate. And so if you're taking them as, we'd say, uh, a you know, an bit of deity, then that's a problem, right? Don't treat them as infallible gods. Yeah. Because they are, in fact, clearly fallible. Yeah. So from a very pragmatic stance, the accuracy is extremely questionable, mm. right? So uh, from another position entirely, uh, maybe a more philosophical one is, are you outsourcing your own intelligence and decision-making processes to a computer uh, that is in fact called a smart technology, but they're generally very stupid? Mm. So the technology, the software are typically very high, but they're not very good products. What I mean by that uh, are something like the, the coding that goes into the technologies is really high level, but actually its ability to predict muscle activation or, or accurately depict how fatigued you are, are is typically very poor. And so your brain is a much better indicator of these things. And we still can't, we have no prayer to make a supercomputer that has the processing power of the brain. We're not even close. So let's not actually outsource a really smart thing that we have for something that's actually quite stupid, even though it can do tricks that we can't do in our brain, like make quick calculations, right? So um, number one, you could, again, you could harm your own development as a coach because you're not using your brain to learn things. You're just uh, outsourcing to the technology yeah. all the time. Another big issue is the technology does not understand things like context. 
So it doesn't understand what the point of the drill you're doing is. It doesn't understand what phase of training you're in. It doesn't understand why you're doing a particular exercise or a drill. Uh, it has none. It doesn't understand what the weather looks like that day. That's why your that's why your speed is slowed down today. It doesn't understand how you're using things, what your motivation. So all of that other stuff, the context is what we call it, which is the real key to everything. Uh, Technology doesn't have a chance to understand that for the most part. And so you can make really bad decisions or short-sighted decisions because of that. So those are just three, and I've I've got a dozen or so, but um, that's kind of the, the, the breadth of all the problems. One of the things I think you guys touched on was the the dependency factor, like you said, with coaches. And for me, I, I feel that first term, like I can't, I don't go anywhere without maps. And I've noticed that it's become an actual issue. And I'm, and intuitively, I wondered, I wonder if that part of my brain is diminishing because I literally never rely on my ability to find my way around. Yeah, it's a hundred percent diminishing. So the question that that's a good example. It's no no question. In fact, the data is very data are very strong in that area. Yeah. People are terrible at those things. So the question in this example is, do you really care? Yeah. Well, but okay. that not so much, maybe. <laughs> right. So okay, fine. That's what I'm saying. It's not a bad thing per se, uh-huh. but at least we can recognize that. Yeah. Uh, I'll give you another easy example: cursive writing. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. No one no one can write cursive anymore. <laughs> but we don't need it. <laughs> we don't probably don't need it. We don't so need it. My argument would probably be in the future. Now. Maybe we don't have to have an amazing sense of direction. Okay, fine. I can probably buy that. What other things are we losing, though, that, that we don't want to lose? Well, if you start to think about how much you're using technology in other aspects, again, of your coaching or of your life, uh, then we start to have, we, we see, actually, you know, this is not a skill set I want to give up, or I don't think, or I shouldn't want to give this up. This is a problem. Uh, a good example would be motivation. So people love to use technologies for gamification, mm. right? So think about a, a step counter. Yeah, this is a good one. Okay, great. Make sure I hit my 10,000 steps a day. Fantastic. Okay, fine. And I'm going to use that as an indicator of whether or not I'm being healthy or not. So we'll use this really small number, this or this uh, small resource, how many steps I take, as a proxy for my overall health and habits doesn't count my sleep, doesn't count for my stress, doesn't count my nutrition. But yet we have X'd out everything. We've lost our entire sense of direction on what health is for a single proxy. Mm. This is probably not a good thing. And you know why? Here's what we know. Gamification actually is a terrible predictor of long-term sustainability. So, for example, do you remember the, the uh, Pokemon game a few yeah. years ago? Yeah. The entire world was playing it? Yeah. Nobody plays it anymore. So you're saying long-term gamification almost predicts long-term, like it won't be sustainable, whatever it is. It's the exact opposite, right? So this is why people would say things like, don't use motivation as a tactic. Would you say that for... um, You want behavior changes. mm. Would you say that for sleep, for tracking sleep as well, like the things like the aura ring? If I'm, it's almost like a gamification of sleep. Would that... It's a hundred percent, but here's the problem. Mm. Even something like an aura ring, does it really account for quality of sleep? Data suggests not. Really? Okay, so now you're paying attention to the number of hours, but you're not paying attention to quality because now you're outsourcing how you actually feel Yeah. and what to do for a number that's maybe not the most accurate and not the more more important depiction uh, of what's going on there. So let's continue the thing. You've gamified that. Well, how long until you get bored with gamifying your sleep? Two weeks? Yeah. Two months 
Well, at some point, you're going to hit eight hours every night. You're going to win. You're going to be like, well, I'm, I'm going to play this game. I win every time. It's gone, right? Instead of building a behavior that's just now a part of your life, you've relied on gamification. What we also know is the inverse. We'll take your sleep example. We'll take your 10K example. It's the same. When you put people in a situation of gamification and they lose, mm. it can be crippling. Yeah. So if you are going to gamify your sleep or gamify your 10K and you don't hit those numbers, for some section of people, that motivates them. They do better. They want to win the game. For some people, it cripples them. It makes them go the exact opposite. And if you look at the trials, for example, that give Fitbits to people in weight loss studies, a huge percent, not a huge, a certain percentage of those folks end up gaining more weight than people who don't get the Fitbits. Mm. Because it demotivates them. It is a constant reminder of how big of a failure they are. Mm. You didn't hit your sleep today. You didn't hit your sleep today. You didn't hit your sleep today. You're a failure. You're a failure. You're a failure. Some people that motivates, that's fine. I'm not against that. I'm simply saying recognize people land in both of these places. Yeah. I think and so we have to pay attention if you're working with a client or an athlete or if it's you and it's like you see the thing getting worse, worse, and worse, and you're like, well, we're tracking here. Maybe you need to pull the plug and be like, well, okay, we're stepping out of that. We're just going to think about how you feel today. I want you to generally make better decisions. Mm. Yeah, with the uh, with the aura ring and the sleep specifically, I've been hesitant to get it because I think it would have, it would tell me a little too much that I'm not getting what I would want to get, and that would almost trick me into just saying, oh, well, this day I'm tired, which is basically your point. But the well, one, the, the, but this the, happens constantly but, too. But the I would say I would suggest that you would say that maybe it would be beneficial to test every once, maybe twice a week to test things with like coffee. How does that really affect me or, or eating before bed? And I could, if I could measure actual specific things like uh, heart rate variability and things like that, would that be a better use of the technology using it in more controlled instances where? No, no, (laughs) you just want me to go off how I feel. No. I want you to do any of those three combinations, right? So the furthest end of the spectrum would be don't use it at all, go on how you entirely feel. The other end of the spectrum would be use it every single day. Somewhere in the middle would be like once or twice a week, like suggested. I want you to pick any of those three options. (laughs) I want you to think about your situation and understand in this particular situation, what would be the best for me to use? And then pick the right choice. And that, that choice probably changes over time depending on what's going on, right? And so that, that is exactly my point with the book is there is not one answer to that. Yeah. It is think about your situation. Check, monitor results over time. So say, for example, you try just to pay attention to how you feel. And you try that for a month, and you're like, I'm not getting anywhere. Well, well maybe you need to sharpen it. So one thing that technology is good at on this example is calibration. So if you're not really calibrated to what eight hours feels like, you don't really understand how you feel, like do I really – well, use that technology every single day, and you'll start to probably get a much better sense of how you actually feel, mm. right? Yeah. So if you're un, if you're un, uh, poorly calibrated or miscalibrated, doing more objective data is better. If you are fairly calibrated, though, you don't need it as much. So again, I, I would say the answer really is I want you to just be able to see all of the options and not think the option is only never use it or only use it. Yeah. Right. You have whatever the things, but use use them appropriately tell me about the example i liked um you're walking your shepherds you were living in long beach and you had your headphones in all the time that's you when you were talking telling the story about how you're almost too plugged in and you had too much data coming in that you weren't 
taking in your environment. I feel like that's the case with myself and probably with a lot of people where we have things like amazing resources to learn from and social media, so much intake that we don't actually have the time to, you know, just like exhale and let ourselves process. Yeah, I mean, this is the same example of people who listen to music when they train or people who are on their phone on Instagram in between sets or whatever. I'm I'm not against it. I still will listen to a podcast or something as I'm walking around my neighborhood or whatever occasionally. Um, But we do have to pay attention to information overload because when you're not bringing in information, you're processing things. So what I mean is if I go and take my dogs out for a walk and I take my headphones and I listen to something else, I will be pretty much stuck absorbing that information. If I don't do that, I guarantee you, and this happens every single time, if I don't bring in new information then, within seconds of leaving my house, I'll immediately start thinking about a problem that I've been working on for a long time and don't have a solution for, and won't even won't even be conscious. Like it'll just start happening. Yeah. Uh, I'll immediately maybe not even be thinking about anything, and a solution or something I've forgotten about will pop into my head, a reminder. And so I'll actually be really productive by not bringing in new information, by just giving my brain a second to decompress. I constantly, so what I'll do is take my phone with me, and usually within seconds, I'm like, oh, shit, this is how I'm going to solve that problem. Or, <laughs> bam, and then I'll pull my phone out, and I'll do a voice recording yeah. or something. Or I'll think of a wording that I'm trying to get to in a paper, like, like I can't figure out how to get this sentence out. And the exact wording will come to me, boom, throw that down. Or like I said, a reminder, oh, shit, I got to check in with this athlete. Or, oh, man, I haven't gotten back to her. What's going on? Boom, boom, boom. And I'll end up sending myself a whole bunch of uh, voice messages to my phone when I'm out there because I'll remember a ton of things. And I'll come back, and it takes me five to ten minutes, and I'll knock out a whole bunch of work. And I'll be like, oh, my God, I'm so happy that these five things got done because I didn't have all that information coming in. Yeah, that. That's the same thing I'm trying to remember is that taking time necessarily to be unplugged isn't a waste of time. And, and no, if I'm not constantly learning, I can have that sense of uh, you're not doing enough. Like you should fill every second with new information. Learn, learn, get ahead. And it's yeah, counterintuitive. The simple, the simple things like uh, for me, I'm, I'm just so bad about checking in with friends and family. Uh, and so that can use me as an opportunity. I'll often walk around things like that and be like, oh, shit, I haven't called my dad back. It's been three days or I forgot to, I haven't done anything for my wife in a long time. Oh man, I should really think and spend some 15 or 20 minutes thinking about how I could do something nice for her. Cause that's, that's it. I just, I never make time for that throughout my schedule. Right. And so these are plenty of opportunities that make my life better, more, more joyous and pragmatically just better because I bought myself some more freedom or whatever. Right. Yeah. Um, Those are a ton of things that you can get that, that you can focus on uh, outside of work. So, a lot of the things that you recommend on a physiology level is like adding stress or adding mm-hmm. points of reset in terms of diet. And, and you've gotten into depth about talking about things like fasting. Mm-hmm. And the thing with you, I could pick one topic and we could go so deep on it for a full episode. So it's difficult to know exactly which point I want you to answer it, but I'll let you just take it however. When you are a pro advocate of you know, inducing suffering or some, some discomfort on yourself, uh, in terms of like fasting, do you recommend that kind of thing for like social media or, you know, cause I keep coming back to social media because it's so common in my generation. And then even younger, a lot of my audience, you know, is like 18, mm-hmm. 24 and they're just on it all the time. Do you recommend a 
I know it's hard to have a blanket recommendation, but for people who have it where it's actually hurting their ability to perform and do deep work, like you said, do you recommend kind of like a fasting type thing with technology as well? Yeah. I, look, I would probably be hard pressed to say that taking a break from social media ever hurt anybody. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's only you and you know the answer. Yeah. Um, I mean, Kenny Kane, my co-host for the body of knowledge. Yeah. Just did a full episode on uh, he himself and his gym and his, all of his businesses are, are going completely off social media. Um, now that works for him and what he does would not work for me. Yeah. For a variety of reasons. Um, and, and it's just, I don't think it's super realistic. A lot of people are not going to go away from it. So, okay. Uh, are fa- fasting from it or taking a break from the social media, probably a pretty good idea. Um, I have one athlete, Morgan King. She takes big breaks five, six, seven week breaks prior to big competitions. And she just feels a lot better. Um, in what ways? Like she just straight up doesn't use Instagram for the six weeks. Doesn't. And how does she feel better? I mean, I don't know. You'd have to ask her. Yeah. <laughs> but it's not something I ever brought up to her, but it's just something she does. And every time we get close, she's like, all right, I'm done. Yeah. And she's like, and she just says it's way better. Uh, I don't know if it's because then she's not seeing a video of other people. So she's not then judging herself against them or like like that but mentally um or worrying about the comments people are posting on her stuff i'm not sure exactly why she feels but she does that Uh, i have others that are on it non-stop the closer to fights they get they actually like the distraction a little bit Mm. takes their mind off things so they go on there so so from more of a philosophical point of view i guess then that's kind of how my brain always works so i apologize if it's Mm -hmm. a lot of philosophy and psychology but um why is it that taking large breaks from you can answer in a scientific point of view, even things like food and water and, and sleep deprivation you've talked about, there's something about just going without something for a very long time that almost causes us to reset and to be able to respect what that thing we are neglecting did to us. Um, yeah, yeah, I, the, I think the one of the examples I give in the book is uh, um, the sweet challenge. Yeah, I need that one. So I think this is a really good example that's fairly difficult. Um, uh, you know, basically, that point of that is go for a week or 10 days or 21 days or whatever you can muster without eating anything sweet, right? So I don't even care about carbohydrates or not. I just mean anything that tastes sweet. Mm. Okay, so remove it from your diet. Even sweeteners, fake things, like it's not a carbohydrate fat issue. It is a do you get the sensation of pleasure of tasting something sweet? get it out it's gone and then bring it back and you'll realize uh the example like you'll take a bite of a pepper and be like oh my god it's so sweet <laughs> you're like what like if you, i mean if you have a really strong palate you do that but most people don't take a bite of a pepper and go oh my god it's sweet you yeah. usually feel like oh it's crunchy that's watery first yeah. Yeah. And if you're really paying attention you might sense the sweet you'll see the same thing with bread uh not even like um um uh the squaw bread but it has molasses in it i mean just regular bread and you'll take a piece of bread and you'll taste the sweetness you'll be like wow or the my favorite is to take a drink of fresh squeezed orange juice like your mouth will blow up you'll spit it out you'll be like this is just way too sweet it tastes terrible yeah and so that's just to me that's a microcosm of what how sensitive and how quick the body can adapt to things and so when you push the boundaries and the way i think of it is Every action you do drives you in one of two directions, either sensitivity or resilience. Mm. 
And you want to be very clear when, when you're choosing one versus the other. So in the case of the sugar challenge, if you go away, because you're not exposing yourself to anything sweet for a long time, you've made yourself incredibly sensitive to sweet, right? Well, what the benefit of that is, is most people, because they're consuming so much sweet all day, they've lost, they're so resilient to sweet that they have no sensitivity to it. Mm. And this is why they have to do things like add seven pumps to their espresso all right, of sugar to, to make it taste good. Wow, if I took a drink of that, it would taste so terrible, right? Because they're used to having so much sweet, so much sweet. To get anything to taste sweet, it has to be incredibly sweet. If you then go away for that 15 days from anything tasting sweet, and you put one pump back in your frappuccino, you'd be like, oh my God, this is so sweet. Because you've given yourself a chance to move from resilient back towards that sensitive area. And I think it's a, an incredibly good way, easy way, very easy way to kind of reset yourself in this case for, okay, maybe I don't need to add six stevias to my coffee. Maybe I didn't really need to do whatever it happens to be, right? Uh, you can start to enjoy the flavor of the actual real foods again and not need to add things that are not necessarily there. How long does that That's reset process take? Because uh, I'm thinking that that can happen with anything for me. I've taken breaks from social media or coffee, those two especially. When I reintroduce those things, yeah. I, can, I can feel the dopamine hit me when I scroll on Instagram and I can feel yeah. the caffeine like never before. Three minutes to 30 days. <laughs> Three minutes to 30 days, yeah. I mean, it depends, depends on right? the person, so right? You, you want a quick reset? Get in 30 degree water for five minutes. That's enough. That's long enough, right? You, you will remember very quickly what it feels like to be comfortable. Yeah. Like you forget how comfortable you are all the time. Something like sugar, you probably have to take it away for more than three minutes. Yeah. Right. So it really depends. Sleep is very short. Hydration is very short. Um, social media could be an hour, right? Could be a couple of days. It really, really depends. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So I'm not saying resilience is always better. It's generally better, but sometimes sensitivity is a better thing. And so you want to avoid and make yourself more sensitive to something in the case of sugar, right? Make yourself more sensitive to it. In the case of like gluten, make yourself more resilient to it. And how do you make yourself more resilient to it without small. making it a part of your everyday? Like, what is a small bit of gluten? A piece of bread a week? Uh, what? what? Whatever it depends on your sensitivity. Depends on your sensitivity. Yeah. Depends on how much you need to drive, right? Yeah. It could be something like that. I think probably once a week with a small dosage, fine. Um, same thing with peanut butter. Like with with if you pay attention to to kids, most uh, allergens allergists are recommending like, even small amounts of peanut butter every other day for a little kid, mm -hmm. right? And, and so this is one of the big working theories on peanut allergies and why they've gone up so much is because they avoid them too, people avoid them too much in the kids, and so they actually drive super sensitivity to them, so then they get dosed to them, they get these huge inflammatory responses. Mm -hmm. They would recommend more that you just give them small amounts every couple of days, even if it's just taste on the tongue, things like that eventually build up a little bit more. It's the same thing you would do with your strength training or anything else. Small amounts, large break. Eventually increase the amount over time, reduce the breaks, but slowly progress over time. I selfishly like to ask this at the end of every podcast. Assuming you would change nothing and then assuming that you know everything has gotten you to where you are and everything took place for a reason, if there was something you could tell your 24-year-old self, what, what piece of advice would you give yourself? Well, I would say two things. I uh, hadn't quite developed enough humility then. Mm. 
Now, I, I, what I'd say is I'm very fortunate and happy that social media isn't what it was back then. Because <laughs> I was a bit too opinionated, yeah. too quick to share. Uh. Uh, I'm just fortunate that there wasn't Twitter and Instagram, and so I wasn't putting my opinion up because no one heard it. Yeah. Um, so that's what I would say. Uh, I didn't have enough of a well-rounded view of the world yet. Uh, but the thing I'd say is, um, yeah, training through injuries is a bad thing. So spend, invest more time in moving rather than just uh, moving through. So things that hurt a little bit when you're 24 hurt a lot bit when you're 34. Mm. Did you used to just push through everything, pain and yeah. all that? And you just... Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Like everybody does. And I heard the same advice that I'm telling you right now and I didn't listen. Like for me, I have the shoulder pains. I need to probably slow down and work on those rather than just keep lifting more weight. Fix it, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Fix it. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Andy, for taking the time. I know you're busy. I know you do a lot of these, but um, appreciate you taking the- I just appreciate all the work you do, man. For someone who is a chronic learner and loves just picking up information and just diving into people's work, thank you for being the type of person that's actually solving problems and asking better questions and and being a an obvious servant to this kind of information, like you're obviously selfless in a lot of the stuff that you do. So, thank you for doing the work you do, my man. Well, I appreciate it, man. It's funny, actually. I got about it's just this morning. I kind of organized about 15 or so new uh, videos coming up on my YouTube channel yeah. in the next month or so. So probably even more than that. So I got a whole bunch that I've organized. I cut a bunch of them today and they'll be coming out in the next month. So man, yeah. So keep up there. Yeah. Where can people find you? AndyGalpin.com is it? Yeah, it's up there. YouTube. You search Andy Galpin. It's fine enough. Instagram, Twitter. Those yeah. are the places I'm most active. It's not hard to find. Yeah. You put up basically an entire college curriculum on your website. I've, I've literally just been watching your videos for a few days and it's been amazing. So thank well, you. Like for I said, there's a lot more coming. So and there's a lot out there. So we have a lot at our hands. Thank you for doing that. And uh, thank you for being on the podcast, man. Appreciate it, bud. Thanks for listening, everybody. Just a few more things before you go. If you like the podcast, please leave me a review on the Apple iTunes app. And if you really like the podcast, take a screenshot and share it to Instagram. That helps me grow the podcast organically. And that really helps me just be able to say, hey, say thank you. Uh, and, uh, and just show some gratitude to you personally for supporting the podcast. If you're interested in starting a podcast of your own, I get so many questions about how do I start a podcast? Um, it's really crazy. It blows my mind how many of you guys are starting your own podcast. Uh, so I put together some resource materials. Feel free to reach out to me on Instagram if you're interested in getting those materials and starting your own podcast. Uh, I finally just put something together for you guys for all the people asking. Thank you again for listening to the podcast. So many good stuff. So many good stuff. So many good things coming. Uh, and I appreciate and love you guys. Peace.